The title of the message that I'm going to be talking about today is Look As Far As You Can See. Let me turn this bad boy on. There we go. Look as far as you can see. You know, I don't know if you've noticed it, but each of the keynote speeches we've had during this conference have been from the same passage in Genesis, and they've just been different translations of that same passage. Look up and look around, all these different things. And so mine is look as far as you can see. Today we're going to get inspired by a man who did just that. He looked as far as he could see, and he went as far as he could go in his service to God. He successfully started and scores of churches. He was a pioneer and perfecter of church planting and church propagating in the New Testament and beyond. We're talking about the apostle. We're going to go back to Paul's conversion, how it all began, the movement within Paul's heart, and then the way that God would use him to just energize his entire movement to span the world. Let's go back to Acts chapter 26 and see how it began with his conversion. It's interesting that in Acts, in the book of Acts, where it talks so much about Paul, three times it recounts his conversion. Twice, Paul recounts himself. He loved to just talk about the way the Lord had worked in his life. He did it for years. He just kept talking about it. We're going to look at one of these times. We'll pick up and then the verse will come up in a minute, but I'm going to read a little bit more. Acts 26 verse 2. One of these days, one of these journeys, I was going to Damascus. About noon, King Agrippa, he's speaking to the king. As I was on the road, I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, blazing around me and my companions. We all fell to the ground, and I heard a voice say unto me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Then I asked, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you're persecuting, the Lord replied. Now get up, stand on your feet. I've appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen and will see of me. Now I am sending you to the Jews and to the Gentiles to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me." What a story. Paul never got tired of telling his conversion story. And to be honest, I never get tired of telling his conversion story. It's a good one. I wish I had one like that. But Paul, like any preacher, could make any news sound awesome. Okay, preachers know that when you hear someone share good news, you're like, bro, let me share your good news next time. Okay, I can make it sound better. That's what Paul did. Paul was great at that, but he did have a good story. And here he is, you know, he's a persecutor of the church. He would intercept letters from one Christian to the next, and he'd trace them both down from the origin, the the writer, the sender, and the recipient, and he'd have both of them persecuted, dragged off to prison, sometimes killed because of their faith. That was his mission in life. And on one of these journeys, he's riding on a horse, and all of a sudden, bam! And I mean, he's blinded by the light. His horse rears back. He falls to the ground, and hears a voice resonating from heaven. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you? I'm Jesus, whom you are persecuting. And then right away, he just calls him. He appoints him. He says, I'm here appearing to you to appoint you. You, the persecutor, I'm appointing you 
for a whole new mission. How amazing is that? I love to see this statue. It's all over in Europe. You can Google it and see it, the conversion of Saul. It, it shows this, this big statue of a horse, and the horse is just rearing back. It's like you can see the reins, and its muscles are flexing, and the rider is just like going like this, just rearing back, and underneath it just says, the conversion of Saul. And it just so describes what happened in his life when he got that call. From his life and from his leadership, I have two appeals for each of us today. And these appeals apply to both church leaders and all Christians. It applies to any of us. Appeal number one, embrace God's vision. Embrace God's vision. From the dawn of man, God has had a vision to fill the entire earth with his people. Trace this vision with me a bit. From his charge to Adam on the fourth day of creation, God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, Genesis 1.28. To his command to Noah and his sons after the recreation of the earth, then God blessed Noah and his sons, saying to them, be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth, Genesis 9.1. To his vision for Abram, Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation, and all nations on earth will be blessed through him. Genesis 18, 4, to the many Psalms, speaking of all nations, turning to the Lord. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine on us so that your ways may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. Psalm 67, 1, to the words of the prophets, emphasizing God's desire to bless all nations. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Jeremiah 1.5. To the final appeal of Jesus. To his disciples and disciples of all generations. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Global vision. It's always been the theme and the dream. It's been the heart and the soul of God and his people from the beginning of time itself. He constantly calls certain men and women to play a specific and special role in that vision, a specific role at a specific time in a specific place where each one of those people called would carry the baton of fulfilling God's global vision. This is exactly what he did with Paul and what he had done with countless great servants, men and women alike, for generations before him. I love those words of Jesus. I am appointing you, and I'm sending you to the Jews and the Gentiles. I'm sending you to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, so they may receive forgiveness of sins. You know what he was saying to Paul right there? You know what he's basically saying? My vision for you is to save mankind. I want you to go save the planet. Go save the world. It's like a James Bond type vision. I mean, you go one man, save the world. I mean, he went right to Paul's heart and that's what he called him to do. That's what he calls every disciple to do. Maybe you weren't on a horse, but you were on something. (laughs) Not even gonna go any farther. And man, your life just reared back. 
and you were blinded by the light, and maybe you went through, like me, coming from an atheist background. Who are you, Lord? And then you heard that call, that clarion call to make disciples of all nations. Do you remember the first time you heard that call and embraced or gained that vision? I remember being in the dorms at LSU. I wondered why I was in these unair conditioned God-forsaken dorms. I mean, the, you know, LSU has a cool stadium. They call it Death Valley. And they, they drop underneath the, the bowl of the stadium. They drop the walls. And that's the dorm that I lived in. Unair conditioned under the stadium. In like heat in Baton Rouge, no air conditioning. They put in a ceiling fan my senior year. Yay. I mean, it was like, it was horrible. The bathrooms, there's literally no stalls. There's like five or six urinals, and then there's five or six spigots of showers in the same room with nothing in between. You're like, hey, guy, hey, guy. I'm like, I, I used to like pack up my towel and my, my toiletries, and I'd go over to the rich kid's dorm and take a shower over there. I'm like, I'm like, I ain't even going in there. It was just horrible. And I'm like, why am I here? Why am I this? And then people reached out to me, and God was planting seeds, and this girl softened my heart. It's a cool story, but I remember studying the Bible, and I remember reading Matthew 28. And I remember the guy studying with me, Kiffin Lewis, he said, do you know what that means? And I'm like, nope. I just, I just, had, I just couldn't interpret verses. I didn't get it. And then he explained it. It started to hit me. A couple months later, just a couple months later, same semester. This was September 83. I was a junior. He, he, he sat down with me and he said, John, I've been looking for someone to go into the full-time ministry with me and to give everything we've got to evangelize this world in our generation. And I want you to be that guy. And I'm like, I'm on an Air Force ROTC scholarship. Like, I, I'm committed. I'm actually selected to be the Corps commander. I'm like in charge of the Army and the Air Force. And I'm committed for four years after I graduate. There, I said, there's no way I can do that. There's no way I could get out even if I wanted to. He said, brother, if God wants you out, no man or government or army can stand in his way. I'm like, well, that may be true. I don't know if I want to do that though. But God was just feeding the dream. I embrace that. It's another story for another day. It was, it was a miraculous. Miraculously, I got out of my scholarship. It was, it was amazing. It, it was miraculous. I, I married a woman with the same vision. On our first date, I go, so what's your vision? She goes, you know, I just want to marry a man who wants to take the world for Christ, and I want to do everything I can to support him in that. I'm like, you're on. Like, just <laughs> mark in the calendar. In one month, take her out again. Because that's, you had to go once a month. Like, that's all you can do. Then it got to once every three weeks, then once every two weeks, and then we were in, man. It was like awesome. I married the white, right one. You can see it from then, this journey. My goodness. It's taken us to live and lead in places like Memphis, Baton Rouge, San Francisco, Sacramento, St. Louis, Bangkok, Laos, Cambodia, Burma, all over the Philippines, Denver, and now Des Moines, and so many other cities and so many other nations in between and on top of that. I look back and thank God that I grabbed that baton so long ago as just a young kid. But at the same time, at this point in my life, I pause. And I ask myself, 36 years later, it's good for me to ask myself, how clear 
is that call and vision to me now. Do I still hear it? Do I still see it? Am I still embracing it? Wade Cook is a great brother. He's been here this weekend. He works with Hope Worldwide. We were in the ministry together in, in Denver for a number of years, best friends. And we decided before a trip over to Asia, where we were, gonna, um, we were going for a conference, but we were going to do some scuba diving. We went over there and actually we dove with whale sharks. How cool is that? But we needed to get certified in scuba. So we went, you know, took this paddy class and we went out for our last, our open water, whatever it was, certification, whatever they call it. And, and we went out and it was the last day of the fall that they allowed it because the water was getting so cold. I'm like, yay. <laughs> and so it was, it was cold. And we went out there at this reservoir and we're doing our certification. It was all cool. And then at the very end, there's like a compass course where you go way down and you got to follow, you know, your compass. You have a compass. You got to follow your compass to different buoys underground, underwater like that. Well, right before we started the compass course, the Air Force Academy scuba team showed up. That's where they train. And I mean, like hundreds of cadets, they just come in. Well, it's really dozens, okay? But they just come in and they just start just splashing, diving. The water's just immediately, just like, it's like God just, just shook the whole thing. I mean, it's so dark. It was, like, it was like the Mississippi, not up here, but like the Mississippi, like down in New Orleans. It just like was so cloudy. I mean, we literally couldn't see, and they go, now we're going to have the compass course. I'm like, I can't even see you, instructor. Like, and, and so we go down under the water. He leaves us alone, and I'm, I'm not kidding. I could not see my compass. And so the only way that I could navigate is I, I, I would do this. And this is before I had glasses so I could see that. And I would just, I literally would have like, and I'm like swimming like this, like just following my compass because that's all I could see the distance. And then you'd feel and hit the buoy. And then you got to go to the next bearing. And if you let any distance between that compass bearing and your eye exist, you're off course. You're lost in the clouds and the clutter. You know what a compass is for disciples of Jesus? What that bearing is? You know what gives us our right bearing? Honestly, it's the Great Commission. It's Jesus. Jesus' first command and basically last command. Come follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. Go make disciples of all nations. That's his bearing. Why did he come to earth? For that. What did he do while he's on earth? Train people for that. What did he teach on earth? That. I mean, I know it's to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, but at a practical compass bearing level, that's it. And that contains everything else. Well, here's the thing. Many of us have been disciples for a long time. Many of us have been in the ministry for a long time. Amen to that. Life can get cloudy and cluttered. People come into our waters and just kind of muddy it up, and we muddy it up. And it's so easy to stray off the course of Jesus and not even know it. You could still be a, a, a Christian. You still go to church. Amen. Still be faithful, but have strayed off the master plan for your life and the master's plan. For your life. The only way I know for disciples and leaders to really stay on course is to keep that Great Commission vision firmly fixed in the forefront of your mind and your heart. Otherwise, you will stray.
the last couple of years, like, like Barry shared, man, the last couple of years have been pretty challenging for us. You kind of think, like, and I don't mean to dash your dreams, new Christians. Okay, people, you know, Jeb's been a Christian for a few years. You kind of think, okay, you get to be a Christian 36 years, you're kind of over the hump. Uh-uh. Like, I'm still waiting to get over the hump. I think that's like heaven, you know, it's the only time you're over. You think like, okay, I've reached tenure in the faith. You know, I'm, I'm, not, I'm good now, okay? I'm not going to be, be challenged anymore. I've learned enough lessons. God's not going to bless me with lessons. He's going to bless me with victories now. But he just keeps blessing me with lessons. I'm like, thanks, you know, thanks for the blessing of a lesson. But, but I know it's good. But we had so many challenges in Denver. My health was just terrible. There were, there were days on end that I couldn't sit up for more than an hour and a half at a time. I'm not kidding. Just autoimmune diseases and weakness. Incredible conflicts with best friends and leaders in the church that I just never had as a Christian. It's always seemed easy to resolve those things. My own just ministry fatigue, as Barry mentioned, family tragedy, so much more. But my bearing and direction in life and leadership got pretty cloudy at times. Seriously considered stepping out of the ministry, which in and of itself isn't fatal. I consider that really what my dream was is just to go be Jeremiah Johnson in the mountains somewhere. You old guys know Jeremiah Johnson. They're doing a remake. I, okay, that's my alter ego. You know, that's what I want to do. I was tempted. But then we went back to our original call. Really, to that original call. We prayed and prayed. And God began to put a new chapter in his vision plan on our hearts and in our lives. And we thank God for his grace that did that. After serving as on, on the International Evangelist Committee for several years, I'd often seen the condition of our churches worldwide. And I'd seen that we had, you know, 650 whatever churches and 150 nations, which just is amazing. And, and how we planted a lot of new churches, but 400 of them were under 100 and very few are growing over 100. But then you look at the bigger churches and it's not like they're really growing. And so we would get together and talk and go, what, what do we need to do? What do we need to do? And there's all kinds of things we would work on to do. I, you know, as good as it is, I, I, it's my personal opinion. I think we got to do more than just the new governance being a solution, okay? Um, I'm being live streamed, but I just thought, you know, okay, that, that's good, but there's got to be something else. And, and we just we just thought, we have to figure out a better approach. Yeah. We, love, we love us. We love our fellowship. Yeah. But God's leading us in real time. we got to figure out a new approach. Yeah. Where? How? What do we do? And then we started to feel called to go to a smaller church. Yeah. We'd been in big churches for so long, and we thought, man, maybe we need to go to a small church where, where there's freedom and flexibility to blaze new trails and try new things and go, well, that didn't work, but we didn't, like, ruin a thousand people's lives by doing it. You know, <laughs> There's only 50 people's lives. No, I'm, just kidding. I'm just kidding. But, you know, the flexibility and the freedom to blaze new trails and and so we searched the world over, and then we found true love. And, and, De, and Des Moines was it. You know, Des Moines was just this cool, trendy city. As we researched it, we're like, Des Moines. Then we go, U.S. News and World Report named it the fourth best city in America in which to live. Like, I'm like, really? Is that sponsored by the Iowa State Tourism Department? Like, I really think, is it like cities under, you know, this side? And it was like, cities. And then fifth this year, it's like amazing. And, and the Sherrills had done an incredible job laying the foundation of the church and restarting the church. We'd be continuing to build on their foundation. And man, being in Des Moines, it's like, I, I haven't been as excited when it's Sunday morning in so long. 
when it was Sunday morning, at times in the past, I would go, good, it's a day before Monday. And Monday was like my day off. I hate to say that, but sometimes that would go through my head. Now it's Sunday. I'm like, what day is it? I wake up. Yeah, it's Sunday. All right. I just look forward to going to the church. Like, like a young Christian, I just, we love our church. We love the city. We love our church. We love the people. Man, we get up there and we have so much vision. And on Sunday when we say, welcome to the church, we always say we're a, we're a church of diverse composition common passion and global vision. And that just summarizes who we are, this little group in Des Moines. I just want them to know global vision. It's us, man. We have a vision to seek and to save, to spread and to saturate every city, every town, every cornfield, every bean field in the state of Iowa and beyond. Okay, that's our vision. I never thought that would be my vision, but man, it's my vision now and I'm fired up about it. It's the baton God has given me. I'm like, I'm doing it, God, and I'm fired up about it. This time that, that, that we've had together, I want to ask you, as we think about look as far as you can see, what do you see? What is God's vision for you, your family, your family group, your church? What is God's vision? I've really come to the conclusion after being here that this has not just been a conference. But this has been the dawn of a new era. This has been a catalyst of a new, like, mini movement that's really beginning, that's picking up steam. That we go, whoa, 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 whoa. And you're seeing what God is doing. This was a gathering of a critical mass. You know, like when it comes to nuclear bombs, you got to have a critical mass and before it explodes. And, and so this was like the, the critical mass, you know, coming together like this or coming together like this, if you know how bombs work. It's like we're coming together from all over. And I really feel it like, man, things are going to be taking off, not just for our churches, but beyond to be the catalyst and inspiration to so many other churches around the world. Look beyond last year's stats. Look beyond the norm for churches under 100. Look beyond the norm of what a family group should do. Look beyond all that you can see in our fellowship. Look beyond all you can see in the evangelical churches around you. Look beyond the past. Beyond the excuses, beyond the finances, beyond the obstacles. Look as far as you can see. See God's vision, feel God's vision, accept God's vision, own God's vision, embrace God's vision. The final appeal, the other appeal I have from the life and leadership of Paul, engage your passion. Engage your passion. Back in Acts 26, Paul writes after he said Jesus had called him, he says to King Agrippa, so then King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven. First to those in Damascus, and then to those in Jerusalem and in all Judea and to the Gentiles. I preach that they should repent and turn to God and demonstrate their repentance by their deeds. He says, I was not disobedient. I preached. I stand here to testify. He goes on to say, I bring the message of light right away. He heard that vision, man, and he embraced it. He embraced that passion. He embraced the vision, engaged the passion. Paul may never have been engaged to a woman, but man, he sure got engaged to the mission. And man, he never broke off that engagement. All the days of his life, you go, Paul remained engaged forever. As I studied through the book of Acts, our church just went through the book of Acts because we're really trying to 
redefine what church should look like for us. And so we go through the book of Acts before Christianity was imbrued and, and, and undermined by the corruption and compromise of the world around them. And so we go back looking at the book of Acts, and, and I started to notice this. Just in Paul's outreach, when you think about him being engaged in the passion for the mission, I want you to consider the words that the Holy Spirit used to describe Paul's outreach and how, like, what he did to reach out. Just look at these words. I'm going to put them up here. Taught, told, talked, testified, reported, reasoned, replied, encouraged, explained, asked, argued, convinced, commanded, delivered, sang, spoke, shouted, warned, baffled, proved, prayed, proclaimed, persuaded. Those are the, you know, the words just used to describe what he did and how he reached out. It wasn't just like he invited some people to church. No, it's like those are the words. It's not him using the colorful language. It's the Holy Spirit inspiring going, that's what Paul did. But then it gets even better. How about the adverbs used by the Holy Spirit to describe how he did these things? Check these out. At once, boldly, effectively, continually, directly, persuasively, daily, on and on, vigorously, adequately, not hesitantly, day by day. How awesome is that? It gets even better. You go, what about the places that he did that in? Publicly and from house to house, in synagogues and city squares, in lecture halls and living rooms, on ships and on islands, in palaces and prisons, in chains and in churches, during riots and during rituals. Wow. He just did it all the time. He gets even better. Then you go, well, to whom did he reach out? To men, women, and children, Jews, Gentiles, and jailers, peasants, pagans, and persecutors, friends, families, and foreigners, relatives, religious, and rioters, synagogues, skeptics, and stoners, priests, prisoners, and possessed, to countrymen, critics, and kings. Paul was engaged. You talk about being engaged in the mission. You go, dude was engaged. I mean, you look at it, and those are real words. Those are just, just in the book of Acts. Not even going into all the other epistles where he wrote about himself. That's being engaged. Sometimes we look at the book of Acts and we go, yeah, well, you know, those are New Testament numbers. Well, you know, it was different back then. It was different. I understand. But I go, but what if I did that? Maybe my numbers would be different. What if we all did that? What if we followed his example while he followed the example of Christ? I think we'd see a lot different things happening. A lot of different miracles than what we're seeing. That's being engaged. Engage your passion. Now, if you look a bit deeper at Paul, you see that he was engaged in what I like to call two different dimensions of passion. Okay, let me kind of get a little deep here. Two different dimensions of passion. The first and most important dimension refers to the passion of Jesus. It was Jesus' mission. So Paul was passionate about what Jesus was passionate about. He made sure that he was engaged in the passions of Jesus. He looked at Jesus as it came to the mission. And he goes, well, man, Jesus had, was, had passionate prayer. Jesus was passionate about prayer. Praying for workers. You remember that? Ask the Lord of Harvest to send out workers. Praying for people to believe. Praying for the unity of those new converts. Paul saw Jesus was passionate about prayer. I'm going to be passionate about prayer. So Paul pray, talked about prayer all the time. He prayed to be courageous. He prayed for open doors. He prayed for strong disciples. He prayed for God's guidance. 
Remember in Ephesians, he's like, oh, you know, at the end of my letter, like, like, please pray for him, pray for me. So that whenever I open my mouth, the words may be given me that I may fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I'm ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. You go, I, you know, like, I'll pray for you, Paul. Like, I would just go, hey, bro, pray for me. He's like, no, like he just wanted to be like Jesus. So he saw Jesus was passionate about prayer. He was. He saw the passionate outreach of Jesus. Jesus was passionate about outreach. He preached the word everywhere he went. He says, I must go to the towns and villages. That's why I've come, to preach the word. So Paul did as well. We looked at those verses describing it. Passionate training. Jesus was passionate about training the 12 and the 72 to carry on the mission beyond him. Paul did the same thing. He goes, if he was passionate about that, I'm going to be passionate about that. We see him training Timothy, Titus, and so many others. As church leaders... We have a lot on our plates, and especially as smaller church leaders, my goodness, I'm used to having a staff of like, honestly, like a lot of people. And so coming in, in, in Des Moines, I'm like, hey, uh, who does the copies? Well, you know, Colin did that. He was the leader for me. Okay, who, uh, who helps out with the chairs? Well, Colin did that. Well, who, who gets the banner? Well, we never had a banner. Well, who does the website? Well, Colin kind of did that. I'm like, golly, Colin did a lot, man. <laughs> and so, like, as I'm there, I'm like, I got to go print invitations. Like, I go, and I'm like, I haven't designed an invitation in 30 years. Like, I'm used to saying to an intern, bro, can you go make the invitation? And, like, now I'm going. I'm made, I First invitations I made, I made, like, a 1,000 or something. I left the name of the church off of it. And then, like, I I did another one. I left our website off of it. One of the sisters calls me. Hey, John, you left the, the website off of the card. I'm like, I'm going to get on that intern right now. You know, <laughs> I go in on Sunday and I got to rearrange the chairs. I, I get the banner. I mean, I, I literally I, I ordered the banner on Amazon when he's flagged. We thought about getting the, the guys that do this, you know, like, out there. I'm like, OK, we're not going to go that far. But we got the We got the banner. And and so every Sunday, you know, I put it in the back of my car and get there and I go out and stake it in the ground and I pick it up after church. And I mean, it's just gone on and on the, the website. Got to do that. The social media, got to do that. The Instagram. I mean, so many different things. There's so much to do. And, and if you're not in the ministry, say you go, I'm, I'm just an awesome disciple here in the church. You've got a lot to do too, don't you? Like it comes to your kids and, and your careers and your families and all. You go, man, I got a lot to do. We all have a lot to do. That's not the question. The real question is, are you engaged in the passions of Jesus? That's all that ultimately matters. Paul chose to. He's like, I'm going to be engaged in the passions of Jesus. Are you engaged to be in the passions of Jesus? I've been striving to repent and refocus on that in Des Moines. I needed to. I was like engaged in big church management, but not really personally engaged in the, in the passions of Jesus like I needed to be. Passionate prayer. Man, there's a difference between praying out of discipline and praying out of desperation. We've been in Des Moines now eight months, and in the last, if I go back even before that, in the last year and a half, like the last 17 months, we've had 18 people move away. That's that, out of a church of 70. I mean, it's like over 20% of our churches moved out, and it's about 40% of our contribution just moved out. And I'm like, huh. Like, I kind of had this arrogant view, like, if we move there, maybe people are going to start moving in to be with us. They moved out. They're like, we're out of here. We're checking out. We're gone, baby. We're bouncing. I just go, what are we going to do? And so then we just go, well, what did Jesus say? Ask the Lord of Harvest to send out workers, Matthew 9, 38. So we did the old thing. We put it in our phone. I asked all the leaders, 
put it in your phone, 9.38 a.m., 9.38 p.m., little alarm goes off, and you just say, God, give us workers. And I mean, it's cool when you're with other leaders. Like, we've been doing it for the last month and a half. When you're with other leaders, you're out somewhere, and then you just hear everyone's phone go off. You're just like, yeah, come on. And we're just praying for workers like that. Okay, we've been doing that for about a month and a half. In that time, we've had six restorations or baptisms. We have five more in the next few weeks. Like, I mean, really coming to the next few weeks. Three people moved in. Just incredible people moved in. What we lost in a year and a half, we've almost made up in a month and a half. And it, it's just, we're not doing anything different other than ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers. We're just doing what Jesus said to do. And the people, amazing. I pray, it was 9.38, I pulled into church. Church is at 10.30, I pulled into church and my alarm goes off and I go, okay, God, today, I pray there's someone in fellowship that's really going to be an incredible worker. I walk in, there's this guy in fellowship. I go, I know him. He was a teen in our ministry in, in St. Louis way long ago. And he had, he had joined to be a part of the ICC. He fell away from them about four years ago. He moves to Des Moines with his wife. And he's like, I moved in. I, I came here. And last night I got on the website. I go, I need to go to church. And he goes... I saw that John Musk is here. And I'm like, who would have thought we'd be here in Des Moines? And we've been getting, he's become a best friend, getting together regularly. He's so close. The next few days, going to be restored to the body. I, I could go on. There's so many stories of people that, not just young Christians, but people out of the blue restorations from like 20 years ago. One of the people that originally planted the church in Des Moines 20 years ago and then got disconnected in 2004 when all that happened. They've been living up in Ames this whole time and Nobody really knew. And like she works on campus. She oversees the humanities department at Iowa State. And we just didn't even know. One of our leaders up there bumps into her, meets her. They're starting to talk. And she's like, I started your church. Like, what? You want to come back? All right. So they've been coming back. And I'm like, thank you, Lord. This is, and I go on. This is all within the last few weeks since praying for workers. Passionate prayer, passionate outreach. You know, when we were in St. Louis, Tim Schmidt had an idea, we took it to Denver, that we want to have a goal of everyone in Denver studying the Bible with at least one person in a year. Now, that doesn't mean helping one person become a Christian. That doesn't mean studying the Bible all the way through with someone in a year. That didn't even mean leading a study with someone. That meant sitting in on one Bible study, one hour, one time, in 365 days. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. You go, sure, they've all done that. We started to ask, how long has it been since you've sat in on a Bible study? There were many people that it was over eight years. So we, we preached about it. We want everyone involved. We went after it. We, we tracked it throughout the year. We inspired. We, we really went after it. By the end of the year, we had like 40-something percent only of the church that had one appointment with a non-Christian. And you could have like six people in one appointment, like, bro, can I crash your, your study just because I get it? Like, and they did that. But even counting that, it's like 40-something percent. And that included the teens in campus that they were like at 100%. So it's like, so then we did it a few years later. We go, okay, we're going to do it again. And we went, we really set up good. We got like 50-something percent, 55% or something. So you go, Half the church in a year was not doing, I mean, they weren't, they were not even watching a personal Bible study. 
So then coming to Des Moines, I go, that's what I want to prevent from happening. That's why I want to come into a small church. We can build that culture. But then I started looking already in Des Moines. I'm like, oh my gosh, it's already happened. There's, there's so many who haven't been involved. So we set that as a goal. Come on, let's go after it. We got a long way to go to do that. You'd be surprised, church leaders. Ask. You got this 80-20 thing going on that, I mean, 20% are doing 80% of the work. And so the body is not growing and building itself up in love as each part does its work the way God has planned. Got to be passionate about outreach. I remember just thinking, man, if I'm going to do it in Des Moines, I got to get personally involved in a lot more studies. I have been. It's like the old days at Cal Berkeley. I was there with Rob. I've had like four to five appointments studying the Bible people back to back. It's kind of weird. Like, cross, next, sin study, next. And like, I like it. I go, man, this is, this has been years. I mean, it's just really since that much. And I go, this is, this is what I love about the ministry. Passionate outreach, passionate training, not just getting with people, but preparing them for the mission. There's a difference. It's easy to just get with people. And not think we're, we're making fishers of men. We love getting with our college. We don't have an intern. So we, we get with our college students. We're like, hey, we're going to train you. All right. And so we just, we're training. Them. And I mean, we got some that are really rising up. We started a new leadership group in the church. that we're like, we're going to train you. Here's our syllabus. Here's the topics. We're going after this. We had an outreach training workshop. It's just exciting to see the church responding to that. The passions of Jesus. Engage the passions of Jesus. And finally, I'm going to wrap it up with this. The other dimension of passion refers to Paul's personal passions. When you look at Paul, you see a repeated formula in his outreach. He went into the synagogues and preached there first. Peter couldn't do that. Peter didn't have the background in education. Peter wasn't a wordsmith. Peter didn't have that kind of knowledge of the Old Testament and stuff. Peter didn't have the respect of being a Pharisee. But Paul did. That was Paul's thing. I'm going to go into the synagogues. I can talk to these guys. And so he did. He loved to write. He was an incredible wordsmith. When you read and you get deep into some of his letters when he's combating false teachers, he uses the terminology of the false teachers, but uses it in a Christian context. It's like, it's masterful. Like, it's, it's amazing. We don't get it in English, and we don't know who the false teachers were. When you get in there and really study it, you go, I'm shivering. You go, Oh my gosh, this is incredible. And you go, Paul loved that. He just loved to write in that way. Okay, I love Peter, but he wrote a couple books, you know, a couple letters. Have you ever tried to outline first and second Peter? Really? Try. It's all over the place. You're like unschooled ordinary dude. And and you know, he was great. But I'm serious. Like I I, I preach, you know, Paul's are just so organized. You go into Peter's, you're like, we're just going to kind of study this topically because <laughs> that's Peter. Now, at the same time, and then Paul, Paul had a personal thing. I always want to preach where the, where the gospel is not known. That's just his thing. It's always been my ambition. It was just his thing. That wasn't Peter's thing. Now, Peter stood up to preach to the thousands and thousands on day one. Paul wasn't even a Christian yet, but he's preaching to thousands. He had this commanding, courageous presence Paul apparently didn't from the way he talks about it. You know, that face-to-face, he wasn't as impressive as he was in his, in his debates and his reasoning and his smaller conversations and stuff. But Peter was. Peter was just up there. They each were different is the point. As church leaders, we're each very unique individuals. 
as well as as Christians. We each have different personalities, different life experiences, different characters, different temperaments, different talents that make us who we are. And beyond the passions of Jesus, you have your own personal passions that are some total of all of those individualities. The most effective leaders are those who are keenly self-aware. They know their own personal passions and they tap into them to build Jesus' church and reach out. This was one of the greatest weaknesses of our fellowship in, in the old days is there's basically one approach to building churches. It was great for replication, great for training, but it was just one size fits all. And a lot of people's personalities and, and, and experiences just didn't work with that model. And it ended up building a tower that was kind of leaning like that. I love what we're doing now and the diversity of how Joel is so different from Rob. You've heard it all weekend. And Joel Nagel so different from Matt Brown and Vitz Hawkins. I, I just love that. And we can learn from each one. I go, man, I want to imitate that. And Rob, I want to imitate that. And Joel, I want to imitate that and Christian Ray. I, I mean, I love to imitate all of them, want to learn from all of them. But at the same time, I got to know, wh who am I? Right. What's my lane? Right. You do you. Right. You got to figure out who you are. If you're like always just kind of like pinballing around from con, I got to, I got to, you're going to get lost. You got to go, man, what did God call me for? Yeah, you got to learn from them, but you do you and you do it for the glory of God. If you don't, you're never going to maximize your effectiveness. You're going to kind of feel like a puppet leader to people. It's not going to come across authentic. And you're eventually going to burn out because you're going against your own grain. You're trying to live someone else's life, and it doesn't always work. You've got to have your own stuff, your own, your own passion. I saw that so much in Denver. So much of what I was doing in Denver was a lot of things I, I mean, I like, but what I didn't get to do was preach. I just, I preached like, one time I preached like seven times in a year. And I'm just going... Because there's you know, all these region leaders I'm trying to raise up, and I just go, okay, something's wrong here. Like, this is my thing. This is what I love to do for God, and I'm burying my talents. And it was one of the reasons that we go, we, we need a change. we got to be somewhere that I can, I can do my thing. If you look at me, I go, okay, my, my way of, of building church and, and reaching out, preaching, leadership development, and hunting. Okay, that's just straight up. Am I hunting? Man, you, hobby, I use it for Jesus. I've been on multiple TV shows. I get to talk about the church. I've been on podcasts, national podcasts. I get to talk about the ministry and the church. In magazines, I've been invited to be guest speakers to other churches that do like these beast feasts and men's night. I mean, not in our fellowship. I have a YouTube channel with over 3 million views that I can use as a platform to talk about other things like that. I want people to see, hey, you can be like a, a dude and lead a church. You don't have to be Ned Flanders, all right, to go be in the ministry. And you can be a man of God like that. But that's just my thing. What are your passions? What are you excellent at? What gets your heart pumping? What gets your arms tingling? Jennifer Lopez, what gives you the goosies? You know, she says... Is it relationships, programs, teaching, preaching, writing, social media, resources, training, whatever? Engage that passion in your outreach and leadership. We had the taste of that, literally, the first night we came here with Jeff, the cheese boy. So we had this incredible time that, that Jeff, stand up there, Jeff, brother Jeff, could you stand on up? We go over to Megan's house, Megan and Brad, their house, 
and, and they've had this spread to honor the, the church leaders. It was unbelievable. And he goes, and there's all this food. I go, hey, can we start eating? We're really hungry. We missed dinner. And he goes, I'm going to do a lesson first. I'm like, oh, God. Like, I'm just, <laughs> sorry, bro. But I did, I did have that thought. And then it, it, was, it wasn't really a lesson. It was like he talks about Wisconsin cheese. And he has this incredible, like, demonstration description of cheese origin. They got a map. And they're showing the origins of the cheese, and we're smelling it, and we're tasting it, and we're like, this is awesome. I mean, he was so fun and engaging. We've been talking about it all weekend. It was like highlight of our trip. And so I look at Jeff, and I go, Ben, if I had him in my church, we'd be having him go to all the Bible talks and doing that for all the neighborhoods. Like, I'd hire him to be the cheese boy and just do that presentation using his passion to, to reach out to people. It works. Look as far as you can see. Can you see further today than you did when you arrived last Thursday? Man, I put on new glasses like Barry talks about. Man, I've gotten out the binoculars. And I broke out the telescope. I, I've kind of felt like I'm, I'm in the Hubble telescope a little bit. Like just looking and seeing farther than I've ever seen. It's been incredible. Embrace God's vision. Engage your passion. Look as far as you can see. Go as far as you can go. Let's blaze those new trails to the glory of God. As we close, I have kind of an exciting announcement to make about an engagement. Don't you love engagements? Like when, you know, behold, my sister, my bride. You know, I love engagements. You know, we lift up. Well, I want to lift up someone in here, okay, and draw attention to them. You're like, who is it? Who is it? I want to lift up anyone who's ready to get engaged in the passion of Jesus like you've never been before. If you're ready to really engage and get engaged like Paul got engaged, I want you to stand up. Let's look at all of our engaged people here today. Yeah, woo, you gotta love an engagement. Okay, now here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna go into communion. And for our communion, we're going to pass around the bread that symbolizes the body of you. Please stay, stay standing. That symbolizes the body of Jesus, the, 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 the juice that symbolizes the blood of Jesus. It's going to come around. But what I'm going to ask that we do as we pray is let's get down on our knees if you're physically able. If you're extra physically able, get down on one knee and propose to Jesus. Jesus, I want to get engaged to you and your passion and your mission like never before. Make your vows as you take that communion. Really engage yourself with him. And just stay on your knees praying until we wrap up the communion. We're going to have a special song. Then we'll, we'll go back to our seats. And, and the song is just going to solidify everything that we've just talked about. Let's get down on our knees and pray together. Our Father in heaven, you are a God that has engaged yourself with the world and with us. You broke through our lives. You broke into our worlds. You crossed cultural boundaries and barriers and overcame our sin and our hardness, our, our doubt, our defensiveness. You called us. You called every one of us just like you called all those greats in the Bible, like you called your servant Paul. 
Thank you for calling us into your kingdom. Thank you for calling us into the light. Thank you for calling us to Jesus. Thank you that we can stand here, kneel here, forgiven, basking in your grace because of Jesus. Thank you for that. But we don't want to be those Christians that just get and don't give. We want to truly embrace the vision that you're putting on our hearts to spread you and your love all around our cities, all around the states, all around the world. Father, we want to re-engage. We want to put that vision right in the front of our eyes and, and, and re-engage and, and propose to you and commit ourselves to be devoted to you. Father, we do, on our knees, we plead for you. Come into our lives. Help us to come into your life. Help us to break off all the excuses, all the hardness, all the distractions, and fully engage, just like Jesus, just like Paul. And to you be the glory as we truly are co-workers, partners, brothers, mates, soulmates with you. We love you. We thank you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.